Good, Good morning, morning campers. campers. Today's activities include saving my father from a ship where he's being walked off the plank. Oh no. Lunch today will be rum drunk from a broken bottle. And to end the night, we will be shooting a cannonball at the bad guy. That'll definitely kill him. <laughs> so put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Cutthroat Island. Yar, Cutthroat Island. Mariska Hargitay, Sarah. Mariska Hargitay, Sam, you are being more piratey than almost anyone in this movie was. <laughs> oh, God. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current pro bodybuilder in training. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah, and I might hate pirate movies now. Oh, no. We're here to ask... <laughs> is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, Cutthroat Island, eh? We thought, how bad could it be? Well, to be fair, first off, Welcome to week three of Mystery Month. Ooh. Mystery Month. Where I should put some theremin backing oh, on this or something. I love a theremin. Uh, yeah, a, a month where Sarah and I choose properties that we think might be camp purely based on a hunch because neither of us have properly seen these things. So we chose Cutthroat. I chose Cutthroat Island. And I chose it because last year we did The Long Kiss Goodnight. And coming out of that, I went, I love this movie. This is a fun time. Rennie Harlan knows how to do action. How bad can Cutthroat Island really be? Maybe it's become like <laughs> one of those things that we didn't appreciate at the time. Yeah. Nope, no, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it's, um... It's... <laughs> I propose a new award. I know we try to lift things up and not bring them down, but I present the Is It Camp Clothespin Award because P.U. What a stinker. Oh, gosh. It's, it's such a weird movie because I'm watching it and I'm like, this movie should be good. This is hitting... Yes. All of the things that I want to see in a pirate movie, it's got swashbuckling, it's got a little bit of romance, it's got a, a really cool female lead doing pirate stuff. Like, she is the lead. You know, they're oh, yeah. searching for a treasure, they're finding maps and stuff, and somehow the sum of all of its parts comes out to, oh no... Oh no, we we tried to create a superhuman and instead it's got far too many things in it, it's it's an AI generated film. That's what this kind of feels like. Yes. It's got too many fingers and yes. too many teeth. <laughs> it feels like they made like a Dadaist art piece by just chopping up bits of other pirate movies and throwing it together and not realizing that there has to be some sort of inherent internal logic or narrative well i mean there is a narrative it just I, there for me it feels like there's something just 
missing from this movie. And I don't know what that thing is, right? There's... I don't know if it's chemistry between the characters. I don't know if it's... It's, like, it can be funny. It has some really cool stunts and stuff. But you get to the end of this and you go... Huh, I can see why it lost a ton of money. Uh, also because this movie looks expensive as hell. Oh, it looks incredible, but it looks so expensive. Like, those are legit ships. I, I have a theory about the missing ingredient. Okay, alright. This is missing salt. Salt? What do you- It has everything... So... You make like a delicious stew, right? And you got potatoes and you got carrots and whatever. But you taste it and you're like, I like everything in this. It's just bland. It doesn't work. There needed to be some sort of catalyst, some sort of salt in there to just like help you taste everything. It's not actually something that you would say, oh yeah, I can taste salt in there. I can see the absence of the Captain Jack Sparrow type in here. Like, that's that's past salt. That's dumping the whole salt shaker in there, right? But there just needed to be some sort of joie de vivre that lets us enjoy this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's... There... Hmm. Maybe, maybe as we we go through stuff, we'll we'll be able to to parse this out a bit better because, yeah, like you said, there's there's salt missing from it. It's like um, there's an episode of the Magic School Bus that was all about them trying to make a perfume scent, and they realized that just by mm-hmm. adding good scent on top of good scent on top of good scent made it worse. And it wasn't until the kids figured out, what if we throw in a bad scent? And the bad scent binded all the good scents together, and it made it better. Maybe it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's missing... I'm not saying this needs a a worse thing thrown into it, but rather... (laughs) There's an X factor it's got missing, and I can't put my finger on it. But, I I don't know, maybe, maybe as we go through the plot and whatnot we'll kind of uh, figure it out. Like, we'll we'll stumble into something and go, that's it. That's the thing we're missing. I mean, one actor in this movie knows what's missing and is supplying it in his part, but he cannot lift <laughs> up the whole movie. No, because he's only <laughs> in, like, a third of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's not doing the Jeffrey Rush of being here all the time. Now, are you going to talk about the troubled backstory of this film? No, 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 I'm not. I'm just going to talk about pirate movies in general. Yes. Right? Because we've talked about this before. We've talked about, like, anytime you and I end up talking about the MCU and how people are like, we're so tired of superhero movies. It's like, yeah, this has happened before. Right, it's happened with the western, and it's happened mm-hmm. with the pirate movie, right? That we we go through sort of waves and busts and booms of 
what people want and what people see and you know, fresh eyes and stuff. So the first known pirate films came out in 1908. Both were short. Yeah, they have to be silent films, right? It's 1908. Of course they're silent films. I don't know what I'm saying. Please go on. I was going to say something very snarky, but you quickly uh, corrected yourself. So I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with this. I, I don't need to be mean to you. <laughs> uh, believe me, I, I'm doing that for free. <laughs> so, uh, of, of course, not only were they silent films, but they were also A, black and white, and B, short films, mm-hmm. right? Because we really couldn't fit that much onto film. We didn't understand how reels worked at the time. Uh, one of them was The Pirate's Gold by D.W. Griffith, and the other one was L'Honneur du Corsair, or The Honor of the Corsair, by great name. Hold on. This is a fantastic name. Victorin Hippolyte Jassette. Love it. Would also be a great pirate name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got Hippolyta as part of your name. You're and you're a dude. It's dope. Uh, but it appears that the first full-length feature film as we might know it today would come out 8 years later, 1916, in Daphne and the Pirate, directed by Christy Caban, not a woman unfortunately, just a dude named Christy, and starring Lillian Gish. Oh. It sounds horny. I'm uh, I'm down with that. <laughs> but the film that really cemented the the modern idea of what a pirate film can and and should be would come in 1920. 1920- can I guess? Yes. Captain Blood. No. No. Okay. No. We. I will talk about Captain Blood, but. Uh, it was okay. 1926's The Black Pirate, starring Douglas Fairbanks Sr. And the reason that this kind of was a turning point was because there's a very famous set piece in it where Douglas Fairbanks rides down a sail using his a knife to slow his fall. Oh, I fucking love that. It, it is only second to, like, slashing a chandelier and swinging across the room. Exactly, right? This is, this is the, 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 it's, that's the kind of the beginning of the swashbuckling tropes that we would come to associate with the mm-hmm. genre, right? Because up until that point, yeah, pirate movies had been set on ships and there'd been a bit of sword fighting, but, you know, also cannons and stuff. So... You know, there weren't big set pieces. And then somebody comes along and says, no, no, no. What if we use the ship as part of the set dressing? And so riding down the sail using a knife to slow your fall. Dope. Just it's it's dope as fuck. Right. (laughs) Like it never gets old. So the term swashbuckling itself derives from a compound word using the word swash, an archaic term meaning to swagger with a drawn sword, and buckler, okay. which is a small shield gripped with the fist, and it's dating from the 16th century. Oh, cool. Okay. Now. So you don't really buckle your swash. It's That's not the way the word is um, combined. No, no. It's, it is about... It's more like you're swashing and you're buckling? Yeah, you have a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. 
right? Swashbuckling. And you're doing it with uh, bravado. But our modern concept of the brash, daring-do figure really emerged in literature in the 18th century as part of historical literature that was being written about medieval tales of knights and chivalry. So the term may have appeared in the 16th century, but our concept associated with the term didn't come until like 200 years later when people were like, ah, the good old days of, of knights and maidens and, and swashbuckling. And it came about with, the, uh, with Robert Louis Stevenson's novel, The Black Arrow. So not the Robert Louis Stevenson book I was expecting. I know, I know. It's getting weirder and weirder. Uh, because about that novel, which isn't about pirates, the Black Arrow is about like you know knights and shit, right? Uh, English no really? English novelist John Galsworthy wrote a livelier picture of medieval times that I remember nowhere else in fiction. So Robert Louis Stevenson is kind of the guy who created the swashbuckling that we have grown from, I think. Uh-huh. So this is a romantic, adventurous, swaggering, rogue-like hero archetype. I love it. Put him in movies all the time. Yeah. Now, in terms of the romantic portion, that was not e entered into the idea of the pirate film because there had been lots of pirate films up until this point. But the romance part came in in 1935, complete with puffy shirt in Errol Flynn's Captain <laughs> Blood. Okay, when you say romance, do you mean like love or like capital R romance? It's a bit of both. And and okay. for good reason, right? Like it's it's the romance of, you know, high adventures on the seas and you know, good winning out over evil and let's go find a treasure and you know, look at all these period costumes kind of stuff. But also the uh, Yeah, wind blowing through your hair as you stand at the front of the ship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then it's also coupled with the fact that, I mean, Errol Flynn was a sex symbol. Terrible person, but a sex symbol. Horrible person. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that maybe at some point down the road if we ever need to talk about Errol Flynn. But I do not want to speak of him and his many, many crimes. Yeah. So... Yeah, the, that, that romantic aspect came in where now all of a sudden it wasn't just like, yar, heroes and, and sword fighting and stuff. It also became like, ah, he's dashing and, oh, he's going to seduce the, the, the lady or the lady pirate or the damsel in distress and save her. Right. That kind of romance mm -hmm. was added in. So eventually these tropes began to become a parody of themselves with easily predictable outcomes, right? You, you look at a basic pirate movie from the 1950s and you can immediately go, that's the good guy, he's wearing white, that's the bad guy, he's got a disfigurement and he's covered in dirt. The good guy's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, he's going to get the treasure, and then he's going to get the busty lady. And, and yep. maybe the bad guy will die. And as Lauren Daly writes, insert gold teeth, monkey, and or parrot. In her article, <laughs> A History of Pirate Movies, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So the pirate film as a genre peaked around 1960 and was eventually followed by a second wave because all of these genres happen in waves, right? We talked about this back when we talked about slasher yeah. films. You've talked about it with screwball comedies that, you know, they, they evolve and they grow and eventually, you know, the kids who grew up watching them become the directors of the new wave that's happening now, right? And they reinvent it. Exactly. But the problem with the pirate film was that uh, the second wave was shit. <laughs> it was garbage. <laughs> uh, so we have this is is the pirate movie one of those or is that too late? Oh, the pirate movie. Ooh, mm-hmm. I didn't look that up. I don't... That's 1980. That's oh, another no, one where that... I was always like, it's a it's a pirate movie. How bad could it be? <laughs> no, that that was definitely in that second wave because the way that it's, it's talked about is that um, essentially between the height of the Errol Flynn swashbucklers and then Pirates of the Caribbean, all pirate movies yeah. were shit. <laughs> exactly. Like, not even animated movies were able to do it. No, no. It's it's wild. So, in in the initial glut of those films, like the, the original wave of films, a good deal of them starred Errol Flynn, a name, a name that's highly associated with pirates. And with swashbuckling in general, because he'd also go on to do the same or similar kind of things in his Robert, uh, Robin Hood films. On the other side of that, uh, in terms of female representation, you also had Maureen O'Hara, who became the the red-haired damsel, often being rescued by Flynn and, the, and his likes. Oh no, my boobs are falling out of my shirt. Whatever will I do? Oh, this corset is causing me to take such shallow breaths, which makes my heaving bosoms heave. <laughs> as wind blows through her hair. Exactly. Yeah. So Ron Leone, a professor of film at Stonehill College, believes that part of the reason the pirate film caught on so heavily and became its own defined genre of film was because of the time that, it, that these cropped up in, which is the 40s and 50s. And what's another okay. genre film that came up in the 40s and 50s that is very similar to the pirate film and also made a huge explosion in popularity at that time and then died out afterwards for the most part. I mean, I don't think Westerns fit. No. Um, I mean, what fits is noir, but noir, noir and pirates aren't that similar, are they? The gangster film. Oh, rat-a-tat-tat. Yes, because you're trading the same characters back and forth. Not necessarily noir films, specifically gangster-focused films, where we're watching Mm -hmm. an anti-hero, a person who's 
you know, going against the law, right? The, the pirate films yeah. are just a comic book version of a gangster film because now we've traded the, the dark streets for epic adventures on the high seas. We've traded the, the Tommy guns for, for swords and cannons. Mm-hmm. So that's what Ron Leon believes is that is the reason for its popularity was because it's kind of riding the same tracks that the gangster film is already riding. Yeah, they're very similar in terms of, um, like, the villains are the best part of it. Yeah, yeah. We're there to root on the good guy, but the good guy's also a bad guy. Legally speaking. Or the good guy is like... Orlando Bloom, where you're like, I might as well be watching Dishwater right now. He's not who I'm coming to the movie for. Yeah, yeah. I'm not here to watch Orlando Bloom pine after a woman and then be like, Jack Sparrow, why are you being so mean to me? I mean, uh, I'm not a revisionist here. When I first saw those movies, that is very much what I was there for. <laughs> okay we all grow and change over time you're allowed to to younger you is a different country so (laughs) three reasons why the genre may have become so popular is one treasure we all want to find treasure we want to be filthy rich we would love to stumble upon clues that would lead us to fabulous wealth and for a lot of people in the 40s going into the 50s, we're talking post-Depression and post-World War II, the idea of finding fabulous gems and, and gold was something that was just like, oh, if only, right? It's, it's They're living vicariously through the film. The second part is the adventure. Everybody wants to go mm-hmm. on a grand adventure, and pirate films are a lovely way to be like, here's all these different locations and exotic locales and and do it with safety, of course. And the third part being women. Men want to see beautiful women boobing breastily about sets. <laughs> and the pirate the pirate genre allowed for women to be wearing clothing that would accentuate those assets at that time. Right? I um I I just completely uh, blanked on what I was going to say. Please ignore me. <laughs> That's okay. But on, on the reverse side of that is that women also wanted to be, not in peril, but they wanted to be rescued by a gentleman pirate, right? Someone who is exotic, who will take them away from the humdrum thing and take them on a romantic adventure. So... You know, it, it's the, you know, women want to be her, men want her kind of thing. Or, you know, in our... I remember what I yeah. was going to say. I was thinking about it when I was re-watching the movie uh, uh, this morning. Uh, was that it's also, uh, it's a great setup because crews need to be so big. Pirate crews, not film crews. Um, it's kind of like a horror movie where you can start with a shit ton of people and have as many lots of juicy murders if you want to (laughs) because you only need to have like five characters we really care about 
Yeah, yeah. No, nobody cares about that near albino guy with the bad skin thing happening in the background there. Whoops, a cannonball just took him away. All right, cool. Yeah, it's the same as I find it hilarious whenever there's a movie with like a guy in the background walking around on fire. I think every movie would be improved by that. <laughs> and that is a very easy thing to put into a pirate movie. Yeah, yeah. So between the height of the genre in the 1950s up until Pirates of the Caribbean, the pirate genre was in a drought. So some notable examples of big pirate flops. Michael Caine made a film in 1980 called The Island. Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's a clone of a famous person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Michael Caine. Uh, in 1983, Tommy Lee Jones was in a film called Nate and Hayes. Also in 83, John Cleese made a pirate comedy called Yellowbeard, a script he famously hates. Really? Mm -hmm. John Cleese hating a script. We've seen <laughs> what kind of films John Cleese is willing to be in, and this is apparently... <laughs> That's a good point! <laughs> and this is the one that he points at and he says, I hate this one. Uh, Listen, I'm a whore, but not that kind of whore. Yeah. Uh, other notable uh, criminal, Roman Polanski, tried to make one in 1986 called Pirates, starring Walter Matthau. You know, the trifecta of things that I definitely need to see together. Roman Polanski, Walter Matthau, Pirates. With, with a pirate, you want to see a sort of... Um you know, a pirate has to grab a rope and hang out over the side of the ship. I can't picture Walter Matthau wanting to do that. I I can't picture him doing much of anything besides being a grumpy old man. Even in Hello, Dolly, where he is much younger, he is still a grumpy old man. Oh, yeah. God. This brings us to Cutthroat Island. A film that lost $80 million at the box office, which at the time was the biggest financial loss for a film ever, getting it into the Guinness Book of World Records, which was only later surpassed by another pirate film that came out in the early 2000s, which lost $102 million. Can you guess which that film was? Another? Oh, Treasure Planet? Treasure Planet. A movie that's had... It's, it's had a bit of a reappraisal. You know, some people like it. I, mm. I think, you know, a lot of people have grown to, to enjoy it because they go, you know what, this was a bold swing and we appreciate that more than maybe its failings. Uh, critics for Cutthroat Island were lukewarm at best. <laughs> And even Roger Ebert gave it very faint praise, calling it satisfying. Yeah, I read Ebert's uh, review of this, and he was basically like, it's a paint-by-numbers pirate movie. You've got everything you need. Yeah. So this trend was only recently turned around, and when I say recently, I mean 20 years ago turned around <laughs> with Pirates of the Caribbean which was a box office smash, 
spawning four sequels, all to varying degrees of success, and one sequel still stewing in development hell at the moment. Yeah, it, it's... Second movie rules. Uh, the rest of them are stinkeroo. Progressively worse. Despite the Penelope Cruz yeah. and Javier Bardem of it all. I don't think I even got that far, man. I I loved those movies so, so much. I remember watching it, but that's it. <laughs> like, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Javier Bardem is a spooky ghost boy or something. I, I Okay, all right, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, the only thing left that I wanted to say was, do you know the origin of the pirate movie accent? Uh, this is, um, I believe, Disney's ever first ever live action movie was Treasure Island, and the man they cast as uh, Long John Silver had a West Country's accent. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Cornish. Cornish. Mm-hmm. Generally Cornish. Uh, uh, some people will say, you know, it's it's a bit from Devon, it's a bit from, you know, here and there. And that's generally where the accent lands. Not because legitimate pirates spoke in Cornish accents, uh, because it would be nigh impossible to figure that out. No recording devices and whatnot. <laughs> so everybody's just gone, yeah, Long John Silver to use that voice. Cool. That's what pirates sound like, period. And we've been stuck with it ever since. Yeah, David Bradley in um, in Hot Fuzz kind of accent. Yeah, yeah. A lot of round vowels. All, almost Welsh. A little more British. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the history of pirate movies in that I think one of the main reasons behind them collapsing is that in general when they were making pirate movies in the 40s 50s this was something that the studio would throw all of their big guns behind here's a great cinematographer here's a great set decorator here great you know people making the sets because we're making a pirate ship we're going to be using all kinds of wires and and whatnot to get these cool stunts going and the problem with that is that that works up until the point that it stops working because that means those mm -hmm. films are going to be very expensive and as we've seen many 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 times in hollywood is that if an expensive film massively underperforms once they'll see it as oh yeah this is the death knell right Every time they try and trot out an all-female-led action movie and it underperforms, they say, well, there's no point trying that anymore and shelving everything else immediately. Absolutely. I read a piece, one of the few pieces I'd read about this um, movie was a William Goldman piece talking about why it flopped. And his theory was it's because... Um, Gina Davis has such a huge um, and traditionally masculine role in this movie and people just weren't ready for that. Um, 
And I, throughout this movie, I had to keep going, like, do I hate her because she's not a character? Or would I like a man more in this role? Is this just my internalized misogyny coming through? Um, but yeah, it's weird in a world where we have, like, Atomic Blonde or whatever to go, like, a woman-led action movie? That'll never work. And yet, it always does as well, to a degree. Alien. All of the Aliens movies. The Terminator yeah. movies. Uh, the Resident Evil movies. We have tons of films starring women in action roles. And for some reason, the second that a new one comes along and it fails, everybody stands up saying, well, women can't lead action movies. It's like, I'm sorry, what? What? I was trying to stay away from the um, the production of this movie because, like I said, I thought that you were going to discuss it. But in the Matthew Modine role, they had a bunch of people who turned it down. Michael Douglas. But did you see who... Could Michael Douglas would have been really good in this. Oh, the sexual chemistry he would have brought to this that Matthew Modine is almost devoid of in this film. <laughs> like, no offense to Matthew Modine in this film. He's, he's charming. He's handsome. I think he looks great. This is the best he has ever looked in a film to me. But the chemistry between him and Gina is only there because the script tells them that they have to fall in love oh we are gonna get into that yeah if you had somebody like michael douglas who just brings like this bde to every single role that he's in it would have worked so much better <sighs> if only if only we could just check into that universe where michael douglas had done this film and who knows maybe maybe it would have been miles beyond or not who knows or maybe they should have just cast carrie always instead of putting matthew modine into like the plastic <laughs> injector mold of uh carrie always yeah yeah and unlike some other robin hoods he can actually speak with a british hey. accent can we talk about the accents for a second here? We're going to get into the plot in a second, but can we talk about the accents? Sure. Yeah, let's let's do it. As as the resident I'm pretty good with accents person. Okay, this movie, the fact that pretty much everyone in it is speaking with an American accent threw me out so hard. I just couldn't get over it. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. And there's been plenty of other things where everybody's talking with, you know... Okay, guys, start the clock. We made it this far. Our flag means death. Um, yep. Everybody's just speaking with their own accent. And that I can buy more than this mix where, like, Matthew Modine, when he's undercover, is speaking with this fake British accent... And Gina Davis, when she's pretending to be somebody else, is doing this flat British accent. But then every single time we have characters out at sea and they're like amongst each other, they're speaking in American accents. And I'm like, this sounds so fake, which I know is ridiculous, especially since there wasn't even an American accent back then. And they're living in the Americas. Why not? But I'm like, fake, 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 American actor, fake. 
I think part of it too isn't so much the accent as it is also the manner of speech. It the mm. the way that they're speaking has a lot of uh, archaic terms and turns of phrases and how a phrase might be constructed. Um, fuck, I remember there's there's a scene where Matthew Modine says to Gina Davis, he's like, oh, I, I find myself being shot at by cannons. And it stuck out yes. like a sore thumb because I thought, oh, okay, all right, I could understand if we time-traveled back to the height of piracy, maybe somebody would talk like that. But in a 1994-5 film, this feels so wrong just slap an english accent on it and don't give me a ye oldie turn of phrases especially since this movie other than having a female lead is trying so hard to be the classic model of a pirate movie it is not trying to be new and exciting and different and um you know whatever time we want it to be set in, it's very clearly set at this time in these places. And instead, everybody just talks like this. How do you do, friend? Yeah, I don't know if that's a failing of the script or if it's a failing of the director, Rennie Harlan. Because it had... I think you're probably right. It's probably the script because... Ideally, you wouldn't notice it. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I'm trying to think on the Pirates of the Caribbean films, if did they have turns of phrases like this in them, or were they all speaking in a relatively modern English? It's been a while since I've seen them. They're speaking in a relative in like a Disney version of pirate movie, so it feels. Uh, ye oldie, but mm -hmm. also it's completely readable. They never use any terms that anyone would be confused by. Um, I, Johnny Depp is doing Mid-Atlantic. All of the other characters are uh, played by English people. And all of the... Let's see, Jeffrey Rush, who's Australian, is doing a sort of classic pirate Cornish. And everybody else, I think, is doing, like, Mid-Atlantic. Nobody's... A bunch of the uh, supporting actors are English, but they, um, I don't think there's anyone who straight up sounds American. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen the Pirates films, so. I, uh, I am weary to head back to them, but except for that one big sore point, I, I think one and two really hold up. Uh, yeah, who knows? I'm sure they're all on Disney Plus or something, right? They are. I love a boat movie. What can I say? <laughs> well, do you want to get into the plot of this? Let's get into the plot. Okay, so it starts out, we have Morgan, played by Gina Davis. She is a sexy lady. If you don't know this, they're going to let you know plenty of other times. Um... Mm -hmm. She is in bed with a lord. He's either Spanish or English Navy. And it turns out oh, it was a sting operation this whole time. He Ooh. always knew she was a lady pirate. What but I... in 
the film's classic wordplay. She's got an mm-hmm. upper hand on him. She has his balls. I, I enjoyed this. This initial scene, I was like, oh, okay, this feels like a strong foot to be going out on. If the movie can maintain this level of tongue-in-cheek and energy for the rest of it, I'm sure I'll have a great time. Nope, 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 never mind, never mind. <laughs> this, I feel, is um, is where you start to see the issues with Morgan, but like you said, it's not until her interactions with, um, with Shaw that you really start to feel like these characters are flat. They are just, like, quips thrown back and forth. It's just, it's so unfortunate, because you want a rad lady pirate. <laughs> you, you just do. Yes! I, I, I would love... I, how many how many pirate films are there that have lady pirates as the main character, not including the porn one? <laughs> um... There's, like, none of them, really. I mean, you could make arguments again that there's some characters in Pirates of the Caribbean, like Zoe Saldana. Um, but that's... You You honestly don't have anyone like uh, Morgan Adams. Yeah, and so I was really excited that, oh, Gina Davis is the star of this she is the pirate captain she's not just like a pirate on a ship and we happen to be following her no she's the captain of the ship she's the one in, she's the, the one making the demands and in this first scene what i also really liked was that when she gets out of bed she's not in a full face of makeup she's dirty she's sun-kissed and she she's got like burning on the top of her cheeks and across her nose and i'm i was watching it being like oh i'm really impressed that they've gone for this like they haven't prettied her up in terms of like i may be a pirate but i'm also a lady it was it was down and dirty and then that gets dropped immediately all of a sudden her skin is flawless again she's wearing makeup she's got a pretty lip and i'm just like Oh, oh, there was just so much promise in this first scene of we're going to get Gina Davis almost au naturel swashbuckling with sunburns. How cool is that? And no, we don't. Yeah, in the third act, when they wash ashore after being shipwrecked, it's the same thing. Like she has sunburn on the top of her cheekbones, and her lip has like one crack in it, and that's it. Because they're like, <laughs> we still have Gina Davis here, people. Oh yeah, she can't be hideous. Yeah. Uh, so while Morgan is escaping, we find out that there is some serious bad news going on back at the ship, because her uncle. Dog Brown has captured her father, Black Harry. I I wish this was like a, a fantasy novel that came with a family tree in the front. Yeah, I I like the aspect um, of it being about like the the villain of the piece is her uncle, and I was hoping mm-hmm. that this this familial relation thing might be teased out a bit more because you meet another one of her uncles and you meet her father, but the film just says like these four people related move on exactly there are four brothers in total so we've got black harry and dog 
Uh, the three brothers who are not Dog Brown have a treasure map to the titular Cutthroat Island, and they each have a different piece of it. So you have to get one piece from each brother to put them together. Simple, easy, basic storytelling. This would make a fun game, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dog already has one piece. He stole it from the corpse of their brother Richard. And he wants to get the second piece right now from Black Harry. So this is sort of like the credit sequence of the movie is Morgan is riding to save her father who is currently walking the plank. This is an incredible sequence. It looks better than some movies now. Um, just insane like helicopter shots. They shot this in Thailand and Malta. It looks beautiful the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not for want of trying on the film's part. There are some genuinely great sequences. Some of the action sequences alone, mm -hmm. I was I was flabbergasted. All right, we'll get we'll get to like the one of oh, yeah. Gina running across running through the building to fall out the window onto a carriage later because just incredible. Absolutely. And that really is Gina doing her stuff. Yes. Too. Yeah, you you cannot fake it. There's no cuts, there's no edit. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Cuz yeah. I want it. So, um Dog Brown, played by Frank Langella, and here the clouds part, and sunshine is down, and Frank Langella is the one person who knows what movie he's in. <laughs> I love... He's so fucking good in I this! I love Frank Langella, because not only does he put his whole fucking pussy into this film, he puts his whole fucking pussy in oh, every yes. film he does, to the point where I was, I was reading, like... Of all the roles he's played, many, many, many roles he's played, this and Skeletor from Masters of the Universe are his two favorite roles he's ever done because he gets to be wickedly over-the-top evil. And I'm just like, yeah, Frank, you've got it. You are an actor. And bravo, this may be a dog shit film, but you are not a dog shit person. No, he, like, this man played Nixon, and he's like, you know what would be fun? To play someone really evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God. Uh, he, every time he is on screen, I am excited to see him. Mm -hmm. He is playing, he is the salt. He is the third heat. He, and he's also so handsome. Like he's he's grimy and he's It's uncomfortable how sexy he is in this movie. Yes. This is this is Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Now we're having trouble with Frank Langella yes. as a pirate. Uh I think maybe But like his hair's all cropped and he's like wearing an open vest all the time. I know. I didn't think I could have these feelings for Mr. Langella. But here we are, a front runner for an another uh award that we'll be giving out at the end of the year. Uh, so, uh, Black Harry says he will not give the location of the map to his brother. He said he taps the sides of his head and he says, it's all in here. And then he 
dives off the side of the ship and Morgan's there and she saves him in the rowboat and this is the first action sequence where I'm like a lot is happening on screen and I do not feel emotionally invested in any of it yeah 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 Uh, so Morgan and her father sail away her father's grievously injured um, and you know they land in a tiny little cove, and he says, I'm dying, honey. Shave my head. And we go, oh, what, what, what? He needs a haircut. Yeah, he wants to look good. Yeah, leave a pretty corpse. Gina Davis is doing her very best Academy Award winner, Gina Davis. You're not going to die, Dad. I know you won't. And I'm like, it's not that kind of movie, honey. No, give give us a, a tear or something, and then get straight to it. Yeah, exactly. So, as we find out, the reason he wanted to be shaved was because he has the map tattooed onto his scalp. So for the rest of the movie, they are carrying around his scalp as the map. <laughs> Gross. I like it. <laughs> it's it's a delightful little oh yeah you know what i could totally see this being a pirate thing this doesn't feel like a stretch of the imagination it's like yeah what better way to make sure that i am the only person who securely has this map oh i'll just put it on me and then get rid of the evidence it's also however the one way to ensure that you cannot read the map (laughs) there's mirrors yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? Maybe that's why all the text on it is backwards. Mirror. Yeah. Ooh. Look at us. We figured things out. Because he, uh, he so, would have yeah, tattooed it. And for it, the right? rest of the movie, whenever people. <laughs> yeah, whenever he, he picks up the. Uh, whenever somebody picks up the map, they're like, what is this? Pigskin. Ugh, gross! And then they drop it. I love that. I'd love one person to just be like, is this, is this a dude's head? What's wrong with you? Gina, what's... Uh, uh, uh. Did you tan this? Why is it not rotting? Oh my god. It, this was your father's? Uh, uh, uh. Put it in a jar of alcohol, at least. We have so much alcohol. So much. <laughs> uh, and... Meanwhile, we are getting introduced to our second lead, uh, a man who makes toast look spicy. Shaw. He is played by Matthew Modine, and he is scamming some rich people. I'm all for scamming rich people. I like this scene. Again, their introductory scenes build up the characters so much more than what we get out of them for the rest of the film. He's, He's charming. It's so clear he is scamming everyone like it's 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 not hard to see except if you are a rich person in the age of pirates apparently you are blind blind to everything and you know he's he's smooth and he's got hair and look at it look at look at his charming smile look look at him he's attractive great facial hair great facial would have been so much better if he had been michael douglas though oh my god uh, um, yeah, apparently Michael Douglas backed out of this because he demanded that he have equal time to Gina Davis, and obviously that is not the role of Shaw in this. Um, the William Goldman piece that I read suggested that, like, nobody wanted to play second fiddle to 
a woman. Um, which is tough. They got like their 18th choice for this role. But also, he's just straight up not an interesting character. No, no. I, I mean, maybe maybe somebody like Michael Douglas could have made him interesting, but it's just... Come on, guys. It's Gina Davis. Why wouldn't she want to play second fiddle to Gina goddamn Davis? It's like, I don't know, like being in a Charlize Theron movie nowadays. Like, yeah, you are not going to get as much time as... Charlize Theron. You should just be glad you're in the movie. Oh, what's that? I get punched many times in the face by Charlize Theron and I don't get a single line? Yes, please. May I have another? Yeah. Let's do that take again. Sam, you're bleeding internally. Massively. Don't care. (laughs) Charlize, wind up again, please. That's where the blood's supposed to be. Um, Morgan... Mm -hmm is now the captain of her ship despite uh, a a sort of wannabe mutiny and she says listen guys I'm going to stay captain and I got this thing that I'm going to chase however I can't read it because it's in Latin I is it ever really in Latin? I don't know I call super baloney on this first off because this would have been like in order to be a Catholic at the time, one of the most dominant religions in the world, you had to know Latin. There would be. Oh, that's a good point. There would be so many people who would just know Latin because it's so ingrained into the culture at the time. Granted, now, like, if you walked around in 1995 and asked that, then you'd have a problem. But this is such a... a Only losers. Yeah, yeah. Only losers who now teach Latin. (laughs) But, Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things of, like... But it's later revealed that this isn't even Latin. Yeah, that's even more egregious to me. This is bad script writing. So, yeah. They have to find the other brother, Mordecai, who has another piece of the script and of the script, of the map. And at this time, I mean, technically, the first time I was watching it, he does have the next piece of the script, technically speaking. Uh, Also, who's who's naming their children? Uh, Yeah, Harry, Mordecai, dog. What? Well, to be fair, <laughs> the first time I watched this and Maury Chaikin is on the ship with her and I'm like, there's a guy named Mordecai in this movie. It's obviously Maury Chaikin. <laughs> That's why they're keeping this guy who can't really do anything on the ship around. No, it turns out he's just a novelist who's like interning with them yeah, and I, immediately betrays them. I, but like you have a character named Mordecai in your movie and Maury Chaikin isn't it. <laughs> I, I was looking at him the whole time being like, is he playing like a famous, like an actual historical figure who wrote about pirates? So I was trying to Google it and no, absolutely not. You know, this would have been one of those nice points no. of like, and this historically famous person was also there. Wink. Exactly. Let's read. Uh, but no, he is just, he is just the intern. <laughs> He's yeah, pirate. So intern. they have to. 
So they have to go find Uncle Mordecai. But they also need to find somebody who can translate this Latin, which, as it turns out later, is not really Latin. It's mirror writing. So you go, why did Maury Chaikin say it was Latin? Anyway, unless he's already selling them out at that point, which we don't know. This is a complicated plot. It's it's that both complicated and wildly simple all at the same time. Uh, So they go to find somebody who can speak Latin, and they find that there is a slave auction going on, and one of the slaves can speak Latin. That's right. It's Matthew Modine himself. This is the exact opening to The Mummy. Oh, yeah. A film that did this much more successfully as well. Much more successfully. Uh, Because we don't even get the part where... You know, he shows up on the docks and she goes, oh my, you look like Brendan Fraser. Yeah, like, he's handsome, but he's not Brendan Fraser handsome. Yeah. Uh, So he is a doctor. Apparently he is fluent in Latin. He knows arithmetic. So she is bidding against um, uh, an English Navy guy for him who wants him as, like, revenge or something like that. Uh, sex, maybe? Yeah. Uh, and they continue to outbid each other until Morgan goes over and puts a knife in his genitals and, like, stop bidding. And this is the whole problem with Morgan, or my whole problem with Morgan, in one bit. It's like, she is a female character written by men, and her two moves are... Pressing the A button says be sexy, and pressing the B button says be stabby. Yeah. There's nothing else. Those are her moves. And, and the fact that, you know, we're, we're constantly being told she's a strong, independent woman who needs all these men to help her. She just needs to convince them to help her to solve this problem that her dad gave her. Oh, no. Poor Gina. She did not deserve this script. No, 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 no. No, she did not. So, they find uh, they find Shaw, they buy him, they're like, we're going to use you to solve this problem. And then there's an epic chase, because somebody recognizes Morgan as that famous pirate, because her picture's up everywhere on wanted posters. And a chase ensues. I'm going to read a little bit from the script here. Oh, by all means. A, a reenactment from Sarah. How, how rare. Uh, so this is some of the uh, the quipping that we have between Shaw and Morgan as they are escaping the harbor. Uh, he says, it's hard to imagine what part of your life would require Latin. And then uh, she says, uh, oh no, sorry. It's hard to imagine what part of your life would require Latin. And then he says, you're more active than other women I've known. And then she smashes through a shop and rolls out, like, this is the part that you referenced earlier, where she does a somersault out a second story window onto the top of a, of a, a four-horse carriage. Mm-hmm. And she says, I must visit that shop again when I have more time. It's just like, it's joke, joke, joke. But it feels like the... <laughs> 
The writers know that it's really fun during an action set piece to have the characters quipping back and forth, but doesn't really understand that there should be reason and motivation behind that. Yeah, it, it's not even quipping back and forth because with back and forth is that you yes and, right? You build on what the person just said. Mm -hmm. This seems to be just quips. Like, none of them... That's a really good point. None of them are Yeah, they're not actually connected. having a conversation. Yeah, it's... it's uh, you know, uh, Oh, Sarah, I guess you got the point as I stab a person. And then you go and say something totally non sequitur to it. And we keep going non sequitur to each other to prove what to do what to give you to give you an example that that reminds me of this bit in um, in Die Another Day where somebody there's a setup of the line like I think I got the point and then Rosamund Pike says yes I think I got the thrust of his argument uh, and it's so bad but at least those characters are talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, they're on the same page, whereas these two characters, while they're on the same carriage, they're not even concerned with what they're saying to each other. It's it's like two people who've never done improv being thrown to into improv together. Mm -hmm. Or like practicing another language where you're like, and here's the line that I say. And you don't necessarily have the motivation for it or the meaning behind it. You know that this is when I say my part. Ooh. I'm going to say it well, but there's not going to be anything behind it. Où est la bibliothèque? La bibliothèque est dans la plume de ma tante. Ah, la plume de ma tante. Uh, c'est bon, c'est bon. Où est la discothèque? <laughs> this is just trying to get me into a rap. Uh, <laughs> la biblioteca, la discoteca. Um, they find Mordecai in a pub in a harbor, and she dresses up sexily to go meet him. Again, this is like a, a woman written by men. Yeah, yeah. There's Thank <laughs> God, dog appears, Frank Langella yes, himself. Yes, yes, yes. He's like, I'm going to kill you all. And Shaw's there and he's all chained up. And he finds the second piece of the map during the fight. And he keeps it all to himself. What is the second piece to the map? The second piece of the map is a weird piece of wood with a code phrase written on it. It's, it's not just a weird piece of wood. It's the top of a barrel. Yeah. It, that doesn't it's, again, these guys don't seem to have an idea of like keep it secret, keep it safe. I guess, you know, hide it in plain sight. That's that's one thing, but a barrel is something that is regularly used and destroyed and moved from <laughs> ship to ship. Like you're you're not going to be and don't forget me barrel. Make sure me barrel makes it onto the god, the captain wants his fucking barrel again. What's going? It's it's his emotional support barrel. 
<laughs> it's he cuddles it to get to sleep at night. Oh, it's the same thing I was thinking about the the scalp tattoo, where it's like there had to have been six months where he's like, okay, I have to hide by myself so nobody sees while I regrow my hair. I hope I don't get a bald patch in the meantime. The captain's really into fancy hats for the last six months. Good on him. <laughs> Yeah, he's just walking out of his cabin with in like an invisible man bandage makeup. <laughs> oh no, he says he's drunk an invisibility potion and this is the only way we can see him. <laughs> uh there is a shot during this otherwise kind of unremarkable bar fight where <laughs> For some reason, Frank Langella has chosen to use an eel as a weapon, and he's holding it right up to Gina Davis's face, and there's a head-on shot of Frank Langella going, <laughs> and holding the eel up to the camera, and it's great. I I really like this eel stuff. The, these, these enormous, gooey, fleshy, animatronic eels that they, they just keep pulling out for some reason. I'm like, okay, all right, unusual weapon. I, I appreciate this, but it's not so unusual that it's like, this is impossible. It's like, yeah, of course they'd have a barrel of eels somewhere. That's good eating. <laughs> That's the most English thing you've ever said. What? I, I like eel. It's it's a delicious food. You, you know you know about... Um, <laughs> gosh. You know historically how weird studying eels has been, right? No. Okay. So, ages and ages and ages ago, right? Like, like back in early days of uh, we're trying to figure out how biology works and whatnot, there were a lot of weird misconceptions like how they thought meat can spontaneously generate flies, right? Because they didn't understand mm -hmm. that if a fly lands on it, it's going to lay eggs, and the eggs are so tiny you can't see it, and then they hatch into maggots and then turn into flies. They used to just think like, yeah. oh yeah, after a while, meat just becomes flies. So, and it makes sense from a certain point of view. Yeah, so... Sim when you have a, a, that knowledge. A similar thing happened with eels where nobody knew how eels were made. Like, they never saw eels mating because a lot of other animals, you can see them oh. mate. So they used to think that eels yeah. would just spontaneously generate from mud. And you'd have to be careful around that. <laughs> now, here's the extra fucked up thing. We're still not quite sure how eels mate. This this isn't like a giant squid thing. They're they're around. It's it's just one of those things of they've never been properly observed to mate. Huh. And, and so it's this biological mystery of nobody's nobody's doing the research to see how do eels mate like where do they lay eggs what do they do in order to you know procreate and create safe nests and whatnot it's just suddenly eels <laughs> huh it's it's just one of these weird things of science where like we know we know that they have to fuck that they have organs somewhere <laughs> that allows them to fuck. You don't just spontaneously generate eels. Yet here we are. Yeah, look at their little, uh, look at their little like um, alien-style jaws. They're some dang ass freaks. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those just like here we are, twenty twenty three. How do eels fuck? Momo. <laughs> oh. Also, the eels in this look really mucusy. The the effects oh, on the yeah. eels look great. They're so great. They're so gooey and fleshy. Mm, I love a fleshy thing. So while they're escaping, uh, Morgan gets shot in the hip. They make it back to the ship. Uh, she again like slices, sm- basically smashes <laughs> open the neck of a bottle and just drinks from it. I'm like, they knew back then that drinking that much broken glass was not good for you. <laughs> Oh, I just love how gritty this rum is. It's got that extra coppery taste. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's got a real uh, uh, open mouth sore feel. <laughs> the burning lets you know that it's working. <laughs> so Morgan, of course, makes it all the way back to her cabin before she collapses sexily. And Shaw's like, I'm a doctor. Let me help. Again, this man, the audacity of this man. We will find out later that he is not a doctor. He was born up, he was born poor, and he faked it. Now he does actually speak Latin at one point. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on? We never get more backstory for him. No, no, it's uh, it would have been nice. I would have liked to know something, but you know, characters. What are those? This film doesn't care. Uh, he allegedly sexily removes the ball from her hip. Um, not really. It's, again, like, the movie is mashing these two paper dolls together and telling you, they're so sexy, look at them. And I'm like, they're two very beautiful people, but there's nothing there. Yeah, somehow he ends up on top of her, and even then I'm like, hmm, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Do you think it's maybe a thing where it's like, uh, and the and Gina Davis's husband is saying like, be sexier towards her. Nope, 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 nope. Draw it back. Draw it back. Not that sexy towards my wife. Uh, no, I don't think so because she had way more chemistry with characters in uh, with Craig Bierko in The Long Kiss Goodnight, right? Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Is it just a Matthew Modine thing? Is Matthew Modine just inherently unsexy? He is in a very good episode of The West Wing where he is quite sexy. I don't remember that episode. Which one was that? So this is one where where Aaron Sorkin literally was like, Allison Janney doesn't have an Emmy yet. I'm going to write her an episode where she has an Emmy. <laughs> so it's basically, it's only focusing on her character. She goes back to her hometown uh, for a um, high school reunion and to care for her father who has some form of dementia. And Matthew Modine is um, one of her high school classmates. And this is where she does the rap. And everybody goes, look, she's amazing. Here, have an Emmy. Exactly, exactly. No, they they put that way early in the show. Uh, so they find out that the map is not actually in Latin, but the first map piece is uh, mirror writing. So when you read it out, you get half of the coordinates. And then Matthew Modine sneaks back into her cabin later, and he cracks the unbreakable... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Code on the second map piece, 
which is that it is Roman numerals. If you take the first letter of every word, it is Roman numerals. You take those, you translate them into numbers, and those are more coordinates. Sure. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Again, pretty fun if this was a game and you were doing it yourself. Yeah, but I don't get the fun from it, so... Yeah, exactly. Especially since, you know, Morgan walks in on him in the cabin and is like, I knew you would do it. I was lying in wait for you to come back in here. It's like, then why why are we bothering? If if everybody knows why that's exactly how I wanted my plan to go. I wanted to get captured. Oh, my God. Maybe maybe this is a problem of I know with a lot of other like solve the mystery, follow the clues to get to the treasure kind of movies, you know, the Indiana Jones and whatnot, you feel like you're, you're keeping pace with the characters, like every clue they get, you get with them. Mm. And so you can kind of try and suss out what this all means over time. So as they're discovering things, you're discovering and you feel like you're part of it at no point during any of this. Did I feel like, Ah, yes, I have all the same clues as them because you so briefly see the maps. You don't get to see any of the words on the maps. You don't get to see any of anything together. So you're always several steps behind them. When they figure something out, you go, what? Oh, oh, okay, I guess. You've, what? All right, we're going along with you. Maybe that... Yeah, the Uncharted movie is... It's not a great movie, but it is really fun in that Indiana Jones, like, national treasure sort of way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what you want from it. You want to feel like you are not helping to solve it, but at least keeping pace with the characters as they solve it, right? And this film mm-hmm. doesn't give you that satisfaction of, ah, I see. It's always like, oh, they shoved those maps together. I, I guess... Yeah. Uh, It turns out that there are these two puzzle pieces which fit together in a specific way. Hmm. Or to to return to the mummy when she realizes that, you know, you have to read the whole thing uh, out loud, read it twice, something like that. There's a key, there's a book. It's fun. You feel like you're following along. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) because, of course... Morgan knew that Shaw was going to do this. She throws him in the brig. However, she has been betrayed by Maury Chaikin, the one guy who doesn't have a job on the ship. Who would have guessed? Kel Supreze. Uh, or in the Latin, case surprise I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he has sent a passenger pigeon, giving their location to the English. So the English have tracked them down. Um, wait, was it to, yes, to the English, um, the lead guy on Morgan's ship leads a mutiny. He's like, this is stupid. And I'm like, this guy knows, (laughs) this guy has the best motivation. He's like, I'm an hour into Cutthroat Island and I would like to leave. (laughs) Not wrong. (laughs) This movie is two hours long, which is a full hour longer than it needs to be. Uh, so Morgan and the crew loyal to her are marooned. Uh, of course, Shaw has escaped from his uh, his handcuffs beneath in the brig and <laughs> runs yeah. out on top of the ship to dive with her 
and go with her because, of course, neither of them trust each other a single second, but he has to be with her. Yeah, for script. Exactly. Uh, Morgan, of course, and the rest of her crew wake up the next morning. Oh, the storm has been so fierce. We're clinging on to the remnants of our boat. But look, what's that on the horizon? Is it? Could it be? It's Cutthroat Island! We made it! So, a couple things about the, the scene that comes up to this with the storm. First, excellent miniature work. I loved it. I think the the, oh, the cuts... Again, all of this looks gorgeous. The cuts yeah. back and forth between like them on a ship being pelted by water, which is being thrown by crew... Like, when I say crew people, I mean film crew people, off to the side, and then cutting mm -hmm. to the miniatures. I'm like, this is almost seamless. The only reason like I can see the seams is because I know the seams. I, I can see them. Right? That works honestly i'd say it looks better than some of the stuff in pirates of the caribbean yeah that works for me i think it's it's great it really does engender this sense of peril like oh the characters could all just die here now the next part that i don't quite like is we made it to the island that's supposed to be impossible to get to oh that was it and there's still an hour left in this film oh, oh no <laughs> Now, I would argue, once they get to the island, if you had chopped out the first half, this movie figures out what it needs to be once it's actually on the island. Once you cut the characters down by like 90%, and you have a very clear goal that everyone is headed to. The stuff on the island, best part of the movie. Yeah, there's some interesting things that happens there. Uh, so they make it to shore, they look around, they get up to high ground to try to get their bearings and figure out where the parts on the map that they do have match up. And while there, they see that the Morning Star, which is Morgan's ship, the one that they were kicked off of, and the Reaper, who is Dog's ship, are both sailing into the harbor at the same time. So they think, okay, they're here with Dog's piece of the map. We are going to wait until they get close and then follow them to the treasure. Yeah, smart move. At the s Yeah, at the same time, uh, Dog and his men uh, decide that they are going to set up camp. And Dog is peacefully honkshu mimimiing <laughs> in his own cabin late one night. When... The most cat-footed of burglars sneaks in and cuts the map piece off his very neck, suggesting that he is much more competent than he displays for the rest of the movie. That's right, it's Shaw. He's stolen the third piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I, I find it very hard to believe that Frank Langella would be able to sleep through this when you are a bloodthirsty pirate captain who is on a ship full of brigands who at any moment could just walk into your room and apparently murder you in the middle of the night you're gonna sleep through it uh, no like this is not even basic backpacking advice have you ever read the backpacking advice of like put your wallet in your underwear because that way you will definitely wake up if somebody tries to get it 
This guy just has it, like, open on his chest, his vest open to reveal it as the moonlight shines down. Oh, maybe... Oh, no, I was going to say, maybe it's a honeypot for somebody in, somebody in his crew. Ooh. Oh, no, I wouldn't want it if somebody were to just come in, in the middle of the night while my chest is open in the, in the breeze. The archive of our own is waiting for you to post the first ever Cutthroat Island fanfic. <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no! Keep, keep going through the plot. I'm looking now. I'm looking now to see if you're correct. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So Shaw is also on the island, and he has decided that he is going to go for the treasure himself. Uh, however, <laughs> he has fallen for the one thing he didn't expect. Quicksand. This movie. Why? It's like we're so devoted to the 30s. We're gonna put some fucking quicksand in. I. It's out of nowhere. Just quicksand. <laughs> like all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, am I five again? Am I worried about quicksand all of a sudden?" And. To the film's credit, it legitimately is like, oh, we're going to sink Matthew Modine into this fucking pit. Goodbye. Uh, I just looked it up. Fanfiction.net has one, two, three, four Cutthroat Island uh, fanfictions on it. Impressive. Four of them. And the <laughs> latest one came out on July 6th of 2020. It's a French one, Les Trésors des Pirates. Ooh. Mm -hmm. How continental, how international. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my, my bad. December 19th, 2020. Evening Star. Morg let's, oh, let's see. Morgan Adams was the notorious lady pirate captain, not that Captain Morgan, of the Morning Star in the 1995 movie Cutthroat Island. Jamaica makes a good place to retire, but your past is always a part of you. I don't own these characters, but I did wear an eye patch when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you, fan fiction. So, <laughs> uh, back to the quicksand. Uh, he, of course, is persuaded to give up his piece of the map, dog's piece of the map, uh, to Morgan in exchange for being rescued. So they have all the pieces of the map now. That's it. We're into the third act. Hooray! Finally. Finally. Uh, so they go and they're like, boop a doop a doo We have to measure 17 paces from this spot. But wait a second. We're only nine paces in. And what's this? We're at the edge of a cliff. This is the coolest part of the movie. Yeah. How do we figure this out? How do we keep taking paces? We're gonna shimmy on ropes down and find a cave a hundred feet up from the water that you can only access by climbing down. It's so fucking cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, throw in some abseil. This movie is hitting everything that I'd like to see in a pirate movie. Right? It's just... it's It's got fun things happening. And yet... And yet... It's still not working. No, there's some really cool... Um, 
stunts here where they like they have to swing back and forth on the ropes to get momentum to get into the cliff and like at one point one of them misses and has to try for a second swing and it feels really realistic and i'm like where was this energy the whole time starts and stops yep so morgan and shah are the only ones who go down everybody else is up at the top watching the ropes until what's this frank langella showed up again he's got them oh no you know, uh inside the cave sorry go ahead i was gonna say you know i'm not disappointed by that i i'm fine with that <laughs> <laughs> More Frank Langella. Inside the cave, they discover, wouldn't you know it, there's an island surrounded by a lagoon with piles of gold glinting in the sunlight. There's a convenient hole at the top of the cave just to let everything glitter. Why, it's so beautiful. It is. Except for the uh, the jewels that they touch, which are all, oh, those are big fake glass jewels. But the rest of it, yeah, yeah. looks great. There's also a chest that they bust the lock on and they open it up. And everybody knows that pirates never have a chest that is big enough to carry all of their treasures. They are always overflowing. Pirates are notoriously bad at this. Yeah, they, they need a Marie Kondo to come in and just be like, does this treasure bring <laughs> you joy? <laughs> There's a special way of folding your pieces of eight that will make it much more efficient. <laughs> turns out if you put all eight pieces together it makes a one and then it takes up less space hey it's great uh they go back and they're climbing up but uh-oh franklin gel is at the top what's going to happen what's going to happen they're going to jump into the fucking ocean what? And and this is one of the things I noticed over time with this film. Th mm -hmm. This movie loves dropping Gina Davis. There are no <laughs> yeah. fewer than I'm four. surprised she had both legs intact by the end of this. There are no fewer than four overhead shots where we get to watch Gina Davis reach out as she falls from a great height. Some of them are done practically. Some of them are, you know, did you know, digitally edited for whatever you can get away with back in those times. And um, it's like, <laughs> Rennie, honey, I get that you, <laughs> I get you want to show your wife in the best possible light, but constantly dropping her off of things may not be the best thing. <laughs> the the uh, this shot is. Great. Also, like, they would have turned into fish food. Yeah. <laughs> but who cares? They drop, like, a thousand feet and are instantly smashed into the rocks. But it looks so cool. It, it genuinely does. It's well done. It's well shot. And again, it's so much better than this, that the whole of the movie deserves. Um, they, uh, we find Shaw waking up with John Reed, who's Maury Chagan, uh, sort of, I don't know. It, in any other movie, it would, him be, it would be him being like, you okay there, buddy? You swallowed a lot of seawater. But instead, Maury Chagan's just sitting there going like, eh, he'll breathe on his own. 
Eh, he'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, Shaw goes, of course, where's Morgan? Is she okay? And Maury Chicken goes, she's just over the ridge there. Let me take you there while I look suspiciously shifty. Of course, it's Dog and the English. They have teamed up together to capture them both and take the treasure. Oh, oh no. Uh, they're going to skip the... I'm sorry. They're going to split the treasure between them. And Dog is going to become a privateer. Yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? Hunt down other pirates. You're a bad guy. Be extra bad yeah. guy Uh, Morgan has, of course, survived being turned into fish food, and she swims back to the Morning Star and manages to overtake the entire crew and seize control of the ship. Well, because she's Gina Davis. If Gina Davis came onto your yeah. ship and said, give me your ship, what would you do, Sarah? I would say, yes, please, may I have another? Uh-huh. And then I'd be, is uh, Susan anywhere near? Can she join us? <laughs> oh. You know, that's, we were talking Oscars before we started recording. They were both um, nominated for uh, Best Lead, which God. guaranteed that neither of them would win. But it was, like, important to them both that they both be that. It's just like, oh, their friendship is so great. Oh, that's so amazing as well. And really, that's that's embarrassment of Richards, where where you're sitting there going, oh, it's um, the tagline to Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we win. <laughs> or uh, or the year that Soderbergh was nominated for director twice, and they're like, so he deserves it twice as much as anyone else. He is definitely not going to get it because he's going to no. split the vote. No, of course not. Uh, so, since Morgan has recaptured the Morning Star, uh, Dog notices that it's acting a little oddly. It's not acting like he expects it to. So he orders Ainsley, who is the head of the English Navy guy, uh, to hang Shaw from the yardarm. And he's going to see what happens. And of course, just before Shaw is about to be hanged, the Morning Star crew start to attack them. And then the fight is on! Woo! It's not as much fun as the stuff on the island. Stuff on the island is great. Yeah, this this fight is... Um, it's not just lackluster. There's some parts of it that really pick up and you go, ooh, interesting. But it's also a little chaotic. I think there's too much cutting around to seeing what different people are doing. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, after a while, I think I got just fatigued. I was like, all right, this has been going on a while. There hasn't been enough breathing space for ideas to come through. I also don't feel like there's enough um, characterization, like, visually in design uh, between the two different crews or the two different ships. Like, each one might as well be the other. Yeah, yeah, like, it's it's not the clear delineation of, look at these skeletons, or look at these squid people. It's, he, here's yeah. two groups, and beyond the five characters we get from the Morning Star, which is, yeah, Gita Davis, Matthew Modine, um, 
the guy with the face tattoo, uh, her number one, and that's about it, right? Do we have? Yeah. Oh, the shitty guy who gets betrayed or whatever. That yeah. that, but that's about it. Yeah, Ainsley. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a young lieutenant who oh yeah turns his back on the British. Oh, Trotter. Yeah, the 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 guy from Matthew in the middle, uh, Malcolm in the middle. Oh, that's uh yeah, that's the um like the ship's boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's also there. <laughs> yeah. Notorious uh brother of a rapist, Chris oh, Masterson. God, yeah. Boof. This episode's a real downer for us talking about people who have done many, many crimes against other people. Uh, what are we up to? Three? We still have Frank Langella. Hold on to him, baby. <laughs> Please. I will not be looking into anything no. Frank Langella has no, ever done. No, we don't need to know if he's milkshake ducked at any point. Or... Uh, Matthew Modine is taken out for most of this uh, final sequence because he is trapped. Um, he's been there's like a a big old crate and it smushed him against one of the uh, one of the support beams underneath and the ship is slowly sinking. What's he going to do? Oh no! Gina Davis promises she's going to come back and save him. It's all right. Now this is so finally this is one of the weird things too. Yeah. So the reason. Part of the reason Matthew Modine got this job was, A, nobody else wanted it, of course. But B, it turns <laughs> out he's actually a skilled fencer. <laughs> so why wouldn't you do more of that? I think he gets to do it maybe twice in the film. Right? We Any pirate movie would be... Well, any movie. Full... Uh, full stop would be improved by like people going cha 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 and that doesn't really happen much in this it's a lot of gut stabs and then the fight is over yeah yeah give me give me a good old zorro moment let's go watch zorro instead mm-hmm. <laughs> let's go watch zorro instead what if frank langella was the baddie in zorro uh, oh my god don't don't tempt me with that. I mean, the other guy did a did a fine job. He's he's menacing and he's cruel mm-hmm. and whatnot. But Franklin Jella in that role can he would just own ev- and talk about a, a, an actor who you could put next to Anthony Hopkins and you'd feel like they genuinely hate each other. Oh yeah. Uh, Okay, I would change two things about the Zorro movie. One, more Mexicans. <laughs> and two, Frank Langella. Uh, so the ship is slowly sinking because Morgan has lit some of the gunpowder to uh, to sink it. And she and Frank Langella are below decks and they're fighting. And oh my God, he's got her backed into a corner. She's never going to make it now. What could possibly save her? Is this moment good or bad in your eyes? Oh, and I had this problem here too. I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, I did just see it done and better in Zorro, (laughs) where he does basically the exact same thing, except he does it as a comedy bit. And here it's meant to be a -hmm. sort of cathartic, like, haha, she's smarter. She knows this shit better. 
and she she kills Dog by blasting a cannonball at him. And it's a great shot of Frank Langella getting hit by the cannonball and like the, the camera do, uh, dollying with him as he goes through various things. I think that shot's Oh, it's so that great. That shot's brilliant. Again, Rennie Harlan, good director. I, I can confidently say, like, in terms of some really cool action set pieces, there are there's good stuff happening here. But do I like the idea that she defeated her uncle, which should be a cathartic moment by blasting him away with a cannonball? I, I don't. Like this is a move that you could you could reserve for like if Frank Langella had that one hench person like a Bond hench person who's a big heavy, right? Like if he had a second in command that was mm-hmm. like, ah yes, this is my second in command, Mister Willoughby, and he's like this. You're Dave Batista. Yeah, you're Dave Batista type. If it had been Matthew Modine did this to a Dave Batista type. I think that would work immensely if Matthew Modine had been tied up fighting the Dave Batista. But the fact that it's Gina Davis blasting him away, she doesn't have a quip, she doesn't have an emotional thing of, you know, you killed my father and now I'm I'm ending this cycle or whatever she wants to say. Instead it's just kaboom, goodbye. Okay, I disagree because yeah. the part that I really struggled with was the quip. She does have a quip at this point. Oh, what was it? She pulls the drop cloth off of the cannon. She lights it. She looks at him and she says, bad dog. In a way that mm. is definitely like her husband being like, look how fucking sexy my wife is. And then he gets blasted away. Like, mm. oh. I, I, that moment is camp. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, a, it's a very camp line. But I feel like the scene as a whole shouldn't have gone this way between the two of them. I, I don't know. I can see that. I did think the shot where he, like you say, it's dollying with him going through various walls is pretty damn fun. Yeah, that that's a great shot. I When have we ever seen that shot before? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. Morgan wins. Uh, she and Shaw are reunited. And we think, oh no, they lost all of the treasure. But it turns out she tied it, uh, a barrel to it, a marker barrel. So all they have to do is go down to the bottom of that, where that barrel is. And they get all the money in the world. And they're going to sail off to Madagascar. The oh, end. They, bl- they blow Question up the ship. Question mark? Full stop. They blow yeah, up the ship. They blow that, up the ship. That was really cool. Seeing that ship just explode. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. And she's like, I'm going to girl boss my way to Madagascar. Hmm. This movie isn't good. No, despite all the things that we very much enjoy about it. You know, there, a lot of great shots. There's there's a really cool shot of uh, Dog earlier on in the film where he's in burning wreckage and the air is wavering and he's he's completely dark but there's fire all around him that really sells like, oh, fuck, Frank Langella is just this murderous bastard and you know, sells his menace and his gravitas. But yeah, the movie is missing salt. Yeah. Um, 
it's just like these people have made good action movies before I don't know what was missing here yeah I. but this brings us to the big question Sam is it camp? No, no. Cutthroat Island isn't camp. Um, it's it's not even particularly good. Like like we keep coming to, there are good things, right? And I think in most media, you can find good or great things within even the worst things made, quote unquote, the worst things made, because you know that that's a bit subjective. Um, but I love a Frank Langella. I love a Gina Davis. Uh, I could do without a Matthew Modine. I, I want more puzzle solving. I want this to feel grander. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't have a feeling of grandness, right? It feels very small. No. It, despite the fact that it's incredibly expensive and we're going to all these different locations and not doing all these big things, it still feels like this could be so much more than what it is, right? The sum of its parts add up to something far less than what it should be. And I I don't know whose problem it is. A good deal of it probably is the script, but mm-hmm. it's not camp. It has camp elements. It has camp moments, but zero sexual chemistry. Not that we need sexual chemistry for everything, but when you're trying so hard to make sexual chemistry and we're just sitting there going no no I don't know what about you Sarah yeah (laughs) I agree this movie is not very good I should clarify when we say um, good in this we aren't just talking about like traditionally good Uh, like this is a quality movie it's just not an enjoyable movie either you know it's the difference between best movie and favorite movies this is not going to be uh, a best movie or a favorite movie I think Frank Langella is great in this you could honestly argue whether he's camp or not for the purposes of this I'm going to say yes he's camp because he's like I'm in a fucking pirate movie I'm gonna be a pirate Um, but it's also just because like I'm clinging to him. He's the only person who looks like he's having fun. <laughs> he's the piece of debris from an exploded ship that we are clinging desperately to in order to enjoy our way through it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He he is the closest thing to camp because he is the closest thing to fun in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we love Gina. We we love Gina Davis. Uh, oh yeah yeah and this movie Uh, is critical support for gina davis yeah but this movie is not giving it for her this is not (sighs) i'm so sorry gina (laughs) so thank you for joining us today on our exploration of cutthroat island please subscribe on your podcaster of choice leave a star rating and review where you can because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is Yes, and next week will be week four of Mystery Month, and we are going to be watching a little film with uh, probably a favorite actor of both of ours, someone who we immensely enjoy, Barbarella, starring Jane Fonda. 
The greatest Nepo baby of all time? Question mark? Quite possibly. I mean, this is where we're recording this, you know, again, weeks in advance. But uh, the video of her on The View... Did you just, did you see that? It came out yesterday? Yes. Where, where <laughs> I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Where where she is advocating murder. And means every word of it. She fucking This woman means. lives by her principles. I love her. I, I, here's the thing. If Jane Fonda murdered, you know, a bunch of bigoted assholes who were trying to control people's bodies, what are they going to do? Lock her up for life? She's had a whole fucking life. <laughs> She's not going to be upset by it. Jane Fonda knows that Shane Fonda knows that she is very famous and very rich and she is has been using her powers for good for 60 fucking years. I love her. And she's also a really good actress. Yeah, it turns out she's a really good actress and I I love how in tune with her sexuality she is at her age. At her very late age now, she is still doing, like, haute couture, sexy magazine spreads. I'm just like, bitch, what? Oh, I love it. I love this for you. And so we're going we're gonna to watch the thing that made her this sexual icon, Barbarella. I'm so excited. If this works out, maybe we should watch her, uh, her VHS workout tapes, too. Oh, yes. We we won't just watch the workout tapes. We will do the workout tapes, too. See how it feels. Live on air! <laughs> <laughs> All right. You won't do it. I will do it. I, 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 I make this solemn promise to you right now. Should we do the Jane Fonda workout tapes in the future? I will do the Jane Fonda workout. Oh, I would absolutely do it, too. I'm just not going to do it, you know, on air. Oh, no, no, not on air. Dear God, no. No, you do not need to hear me going... God, the audio uh, would be terrible. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, oh, I just need to... Can, 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 we pause, can we pause for a second? Jane's kicking my ass. I'm going to short out my mic with sweat. <laughs> Sweating from how sexy Jane Fonda is. Oh God! Well, until that point, when we when we get to unbelievably horny Jane Fonda in space, you, our audience, our campers, our listeners, can continue our, the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Reese Indigo, all one word, R H Y S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! Yar! What be a pirate's favorite Star Trek character? Oh my god, is it. Is it Tasha? No, it, it's Worf. Why would you think it's Tasha? She dies. Worf is cool! He's got a sword! <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing? Like it. Not too cam. No, not the way you do it.